This is Genoa. This is Yusuf. And this is If Light Entertainment. <laughs> yes, and we are in Thursday Throwback. And uh, this Thursday, we are highlighting uh, movies in honor and celebration of Indigenous people, Indigenous Month. Um, and uh, we're going to go back to a movie that was noteworthy for the contributions of you know, the indigenous people um, have contributed towards the military. Yes. So we are talking the 2002 uh, John Woo movie with Nicolas Cage, Wind Talkers. So what was happening in 2002 when this movie came out? All right. So this movie was released June 14th. All right. So summer. All right. What were we watching summertime? Uh, okay. Was so it, Was it all the uh, America's Got Talent? Close. Either. Uh, <laughs> but, so, okay. Yeah. Number five, yes, American Idol on Tuesdays. Uh, yeah, and then number four, uh, ER uh, three was I think yeah, Joe Millionaire was a thing that year. Those, those past few years, uh, Friends was still rocking the number two, and CSI was one. Ah, uh, CSI. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, because like, yeah, like 2001, 2002-ish, that's what said the CSI revolution really started like taking over the TV. I feel like this was also right around the time that The Sopranos was coming out. Coming out or coming out or about to end? Um... I thought it was. Oh yeah, it was probably, yeah, it was probably out. Yeah, it was probably out about that. It was out, but oh yeah, it came, it came out in '99. So I don't know how many seasons it ran. Yeah, oh, it ran until 2007. Holy shit! Uh, okay, yeah. So it was at so at that point. It was at its halfway mark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we are talking about wind talkers, so. According to IMDb, this is about two U.S. Marines in World War II are assigned to protect Navajo Marines who use their native language as an unbreakable radio cipher. Um, Wind Talkers. The name of the movie makes you think it's going to be about the Navajo Marines because that was their code word for themselves, Wind Talkers. Um, but really this is a movie about a white man dealing with some serious PTSD that just happens to be protecting a Navajo Marine. Exactly. Played by Adam Beach. Exactly. Um, now, General mentioned before this film was directed by the John Woo. Um, now, John Woo gave us a lot of amazing like Hong Kong action movies before he crossed over and uh and did his um feature film Hollywood movies here. <clears throat> his first Hollywood film was a uh, hard target. You had the mullet 
wearing the Sean Clown Van Dam in Louisiana in the bayou. <laughs> I gotta love it. Yeah, and then a couple, and then a year later, uh he no, actually three years later, ninety-six, he uh released Broken Arrow. This one with uh John Travolta and Christian Christian Slater. The reason I'm saying that is because there's a pattern of John Wu kind of bringing his act bringing actors that was in previous movies back, you know, to do movies with him in other movies. So yeah. Christian Slater. Now Christian Slater is in Wind Talkers, right? And then man, only a year after that. So 97, we got face off <laughs> with Nicolas Cage. All right. And Nicolas Cage is in this in uh Wind Talkers and he's the uh the main character we follow. So this was John Woo's first like yo know, stab at a war movie. Um, so uh, that's kind of how all this came about with this project. About so, yeah. So he was initially he was originally hired. He agreed to do Wind Talkers because it was supposed to be his big, um, like dramatic breakout film. Um, versus the standard John Woo action film. Mm-hmm. And the studio, when it came to editing, forced him to move it more into a action film mm-hmm. uh, versus the dramatic thing that John Woo thought he was actually directing. All right. Yeah. Then he knew, like, once, once the studios and the people with the money behind the project, when they say, oh, you know what, do it like this. Most likely you're going to do it like that. <laughs> yes, yes. So I, so uh, we we were we wanted to do this movie because it, it based on the title, you think it's going going to be about the indigenous uh, Navajo military men who who helped really turn the tide for the U.S. military during World War II in the Pacific portion of the war. And that's because the Japanese had broken every type of code that the U.S. military had been using up until the Navajo soldiers came in and started using their own language to translate directions for the people that were out in the field versus folks back at control where they may like send planes or bombs to to stop folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I kind of wish they... Okay, this, to me, this is something that could have been like a Band of Brothers type HBO, maybe like eight to ten part series because this moment and, you know, military war history, strategic war, whatever you want to call it, was so pivotal that it should have more deep dives, right? You know, because it it was such a pivotal moment that, you know, it's not one of those things like, oh, well, you kind of, we just skirt over that. I mean, it was very important, but eh, we just kind of just kind of put a bookmark on that, you know, in my military, you know, us American military strategic tactical um, 
decisions to, you know, in turn sway the war the Americans' way. Um, so, but yeah, that's kind of how I mean, I wish someone would kind of take or bring this subject back up and do like a series on it. And like, and like Jim was saying, like following, and like Band of Brothers, like following, you know, the, you know, the indigenous soldiers, like just stay on them, like this, like the brotherhood within, like these indigenous soldiers, like their trauma, what they're experiencing, like their friendships, their bond amongst all of these white soldiers who didn't want them there in the first place. Well, yeah, and and I feel like you could even take the story to a point where, like, here is a country that has basically tried to annihilate this entire group of people um, has destroyed their language and their culture and has regulated them to like limited spaces across the nation. And yet these indigenous people came and decided to sign up for the military and help the United States during this war. That just, that boggles my mind. And so hearing those stories would be, I feel like way more impactful than just another white man. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And it's kind of like, and that, and this movie is definitely a situation of studios playing it safe, right? It's like, well, we we put the the title of when talkers we will like highlight certain things about the historic references that we're pulling for our movie sake, but it's not really about it. <laughs> not yeah. really. Yeah. So there was like. If you go to the history websites and everything, there was um, 33 different languages were spoken. Um, it, it wasn't just the um, it wasn't just the Navajo language. It was 33 right. different indigenous languages, which when you think about that, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last of the indigenous servicemen. To to be one of the the folks that that helped us in World War II, he actually passed away in 2019. So we no longer have their stories, which is I, I really hope someone went out and documented their stories because I feel like it could be a very powerful film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, I, I, I'm I was meaning to do a little digging into if there are any documentaries. I'm sure there's maybe one or two out there um, highlighting, uh, you know, this particular moment, you know, in military war history or I don't know <laughs> um, about that. Um, so if there's if there's anyone I come across, I'll send I'll shoot a link up because I, like this movie don't really serve serve the sh- the contributions that indigenous people, you know, you know, contributed towards, you know, us Americans, <laughs> uh, yeah. period, especially in the form of, you know, uh, being in the service, being in the military. Cause like general says, like it's, it's very 
intriguing, especially, you know, people of color, indigenous people, like, despite all of the things that, you know, American society throws at these people, they still embrace the concept of honor and duty and fight for your country. I mean, that in itself can be a documentary. Well, if you think about it, they're fighting for a country that doesn't even want them, that has rejected them, and yet they're still willing to fight for the country. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean that could apply for any, you know, soldier of color at that point, you know. Like, it's like, yeah. <laughs> but yet you still want to, you know, defend this country that, you know, pretty much fucking you over. but. You still want it to be the greatest, you know, country in in, in, in the world. But yeah, yes. I mean the the movie does it 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 touches on a little bit of um, what the indigenous soldiers may have gone through. It, it highlights some of the racism that they would have experienced. It highlights that that they were definitely outsiders. Mm-hmm. Um, and that they were really just viewed as tools, not necessarily brothers in arms. Um, they were there to do a job. And if, if, if it came down to it, their life was, um, not as important as the code was. And so they would easily be taken out. So it does, it does hit on some things, but it primarily follows the Nicholas Cage story um, with him having lost his entire platoon beforehand and then having a bit of PTSD and still going back out to fight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and honestly, it, actually with this movie, they did, they did a really good job staging these, you know, these war sequences. I mean, they're really good and well put together. It's John Woo, so you got to really get some really good visceral, you know, like gunplay, you know, shootings, you know, some good slow motion, you know, dabs out of explosions. So, I mean, it was it was good. They were good looking, well executed, like war action in this movie. Like, no one can't say that. (laughs) And and he went and, and got some of the genuine World War II vintage radio radios. Um, and they were using in, they either had like rubber, rubber replicas of guns or real guns, um, like a mix of the two being used in all the fight scenes. So like from that perspective, it, it was very, yes, the, the battle scenes felt very real. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But like Jenna was saying, you, you, other days you will you would wish that the movie fell back more on the indigenous soldiers' point of view of what was going on instead of you know the white soldier perspective of you know these new people coming in and helping them uh and all the other soldiers so yeah. Um, yeah, you know, Nicholas Cage is Nicholas Cage. He always Nicholas Cage. He's always gonna do his Nicholas Cageiness. Uh, so like, I, you know, whatever on Nick, you know, I always love him because he's always gonna be Nicholas Cage. Love, him, like, you know, take him or leave him. He's Nicholas Cage. Um, and yeah, 
I think this movie came the came a year out um, or was filmed a year after he did um, Lost in Las Vegas, which he won his Oscar for. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, uh, leaving Las Vegas. Yeah, leaving Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, um, yeah, he was mentally lost in Las Vegas, so that title right. can work. <laughs> Uh, but so I I was the one that suggested this movie and, and in all honesty I did see this movie when it came out at the theater and I feel like I had blocked out all the Nicolas Cage parts of the movie and I only kept in my mind the the Navajo story so when I went and watched it again yesterday uh, I was surprised at how much it is just really a white man's story with the indigenous name thrown on top of it so it's once again that the white men are stealing uh, something that the indigenous peoples have have given us yeah and, and, and that's the thing you know when uh, when a story, a historical story, is written and told through the lens of the people that the subject is like, you know, like that's not the subject of the people that you know it's about. Um, it's not written through that perspective, or the filmmakers is not them. Like it, you can see, you can see how. They're sprinkled a little bit of something on it, but it's not the real thing, right? So just like uh, we're when we reviewed Forty Two, uh, mm-hmm. the Jackie Robinson Day with Chadwick Boseman, made recipes. Like I, I, I mentioned something to the effect of, I wonder how this Forty Two would have been, you know, if it was told through, you know, like a sprinkle or something. Like I think the racist elements of the people around Jackie Robinson would have been a little bit more a little bit more hammering, you know. (laughs) And just like I was saying, like, I think if this was, if Wintos was told through the lens of, you know, like, actual indigenous people, if, like, those moments, it was like that whole uh, poker scene moment in the tent, you know, yeah. One of the soldiers, like, uh, you know, of course, he's the soldier that just don't like him. Like he's like your st- he's like your obligatory soldier. It's like okay, he's the asshole soldier that you know he have no filter on how much he don't like you know other soldiers. Like yeah, that and, you know he make a couple of comments here and there, but it's nothing to the effect that you like. Holy shit, this dude is super low. And it was it was kind of like safe. It, it, it was safe, but not like vicious, you know, insults to them. In the back of my mind, I'm like, nah, I'm pretty sure those soldiers said far worse than what they said to them in this movie. Uh, so it's just like, okay, just to make the white soldiers like, okay, there were, there wasn't no board, there were, there were, you know, they were saying bad things, but not that bad, you know. It's kind of like, no, I think they were saying some really ratchet shit to these soldiers back in the day. Right, it was like PG thirteen racist stuff, not yeah. <laughs> not what you might hear exactly. even today from from some of the uh, Proud Boys folks. Exactly, yeah, it would be like some Proud Boy banter back then. I'm <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> around these indigenous soldiers, and they and they probably would be saying it right in their ear and and dare them to say or do anything to them. Uh, right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah, it's just interesting though. But um, 
But the, I guess the thing that this film does do is it it hopefully makes people more curious about learning what the indigenous tribes have done for, you know, the nation, um, like helping us win the Pacific Rim of World War II. Exactly. Which is not a small feat. <laughs> you know, it's like that is kind of a big deal. Uh, you know, <laughs> in the history of of, Ameri- of American war, uh, that's that's pretty significant. Um, so, but you know, it, 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 it's a running thing in Hollywood, right? It's like, okay, the story, the people who's telling the story writes, you know, how how the interpretation of what you what they think it is. After so long, you think it's actually it was it's actually that. So if someone watched Wind Talks, they'd be like, "Oh, okay, cool. So that's what it was. That's what it was, right?" Like, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's really good resources online. Um, you know, we we can put some in the ch- in, in on our Facebook page, but definitely encourage people going out and and reading more about the different indigenous cultures and and their languages. Um, It's, you know, really surprising that, um, so World War II happened in the 40s, that even at this point in time in our history, that there were schools where indigenous children would be beat for speaking their language. And now because it's a tool that the U S army can use, it's okay for them to speak it. Um, but I'm sure that some of them had to go and learn their languages because it had been beaten out of them. Um, and uh, you know, I believe some of the, these indigenous in and like, white man indoctrination schools. Um, I believe they were even active all the way into the eighties. Um, I'm not sure if here in the U S but I think definitely in Canada. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. And, and also other links that, you know, I, I would come across about, you know, the, the real story as a far as through the recollections of the, Actual soldiers that you know lived it, and you know the indigenous soldiers. Uh, we we put some, we definitely sprinkle some links up. You know, people can kind of get the real, the real, real <laughs> through the perspective of the actual soldiers who you know survived it and contributed towards it. There's a lot. There's a few articles I, I see. Um, put up. Yeah. Um, a correction: there were some of the the schools were were still functioning in the nineties. Say that again. Some of the schools where, where indigenous children weren't allowed to speak their own language were still open in the 90s. What? Uh-huh. Yep. Wow. See, stuff like that needs to be talked about. Like, what the hell? Like, come on, people. So roughly 10 years before this movie came out, there were still indigenous children being told that they were not allowed to speak their language. Mm. Oh boy. Yeah. Like I said, that's a whole other, that's a whole other just round table discussion about that. Cause that's just, uh, that's just frustrating <laughs> and aggravating. It, uh, uh, like really nineties. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, <clears throat> all right. All right. Anywho, so our so our uh, our our rating goes as follows: uh, the ass on couch. Uh, it's a good watch. You enjoy it. Our second ring is um, go put on your shoes, kind of play, go outside, or you're kind of doing stuff around the house and you're kind of watching it. You're in and out. Um, and the worst of offenses is I would rather go outside and you know get sneezed on by COVID turkeys because it's November. Uh, and while I didn't watch this movie. Um, for me, it's going outside. Um, <laughs> the, I mean, the action scenes are very good, but there's plenty of other World War II movies that I can go watch good action scenes. Uh, and I'd rather go like read up on the history of the wind talkers, yeah. uh, than watch some white man's PR of how how folks were actually treated. Okay, and let, I'm about to ask you this. So, let me ask you this. You know, when um, doing the story, the Nicholas K. Soldier character, right? Yeah. It was the um, like the, it was the nurse. Was She was like the military kind of doctor or nurse? Yeah. yeah, the nurse, yeah. Right. Now, did they actually have a relationship or just kind of like pip out? Remember she had to like fly out. She went somewhere and they're kind of like writing each other back and forth. But they never like hook up, I don't think. Yeah, they never hook up. Nothing really ever happens. So yeah, so now, okay, this is my follow-up question. Was that even, like, was that story point, was, was that even necessary? I feel like the only reason why I was thrown in is because that like he used her uh to get back out in the field. It it wasn't necessary. They, they, <laughs> okay, gotcha. they, I I I'm sure that like in the nine well maybe <laughs> maybe cuz John Woo was hoping that this was going to be more of a um like a drama yeah. maybe they had that in there uh, and when they went and edited it they kept it in because you need something to keep the female audiences interested and I'm just going to throw a love story in there for that mm. yeah unfortunately yeah because yeah, then what I thought about I'm like okay we never seen them like really like have a relationship it was never like a flash forward where they got married it was never like a situation where oh, that relationship feels. Huh? He, he dies. They can't get married. He dies. Right. That's what I'm saying. So it's like, why was this relationship even in the movie? <laughs> like, I don't know. That was like my whole question when I watched it. <laughs> she was like his little white angel. Mm. Uh, uh, like giving giving him heart and making him less cold and realizing that he can care for the people around him even though he's lost everyone in his life. Yeah. Uh, See, but that but that's and that's and that's that's the that's one of the biggest of offenses with this movie, right? It's like you would rather you would rather waste scenes on a relationship story point that goes nowhere opposite using that screen time 
to focus on the indigenous soldiers <laughs> and their relationship with their environment, their new environment, you know, and also how they're keeping each other sane in the midst of all of this craziness that they're dropped into. You know, it's like, all right, so the studio's like, yeah, we don't really need to think about the soldiers, but we need some kind of love story. <laughs> I don't know. It's just like, yeah. So yeah, I'm right. I, I agree with you. You know, I remember when you said when talkers, I kind of snicker. You're like, what? I was like, oh, because I remember when I watched that. Like, yeah, it wasn't what I thought it was gonna be. Uh, right. And I felt like I had rewritten the story in my brain uh, to be all about the Navajo characters. I totally forgot that Nicolas Cage was even in the movie. Yeah. I mean, he's the biggest face on the poster. I'm, well, I've, I've blocked all of that out. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, and isn't it crazy seeing a young Mark Ruffalo? It took me like so many scenes to really look at him like, oh shit, that's Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> yeah, he's he's like a baby in that movie. I know, right? Like, that's Mark Ruffalo. Let's see, he should have turned green and that would have turned the tide of the war, but he chose <laughs> not to. I blame, I blame the whole us. Losing so many soldiers. Anyway, um, so yeah, I agree. Yeah, I wouldn't suggest this movie, especially within the context of the story that they were trying to tell. Like, they did not do a great job telling it. Um, so, yeah. Like, I, I agree with General, you know, maybe this could be a springboard for you to actually, you know, read some books about it, you know, look up some articles with you know, some of the you know indigenous soldiers and their recollection of this of you know what happened, you know, get more of the real information because this movie's not gonna give it to you. <laughs> yeah. I mean even like the the indigenous code talkers weren't really recognized um by the US government until the two thousands. So it's it's just it's it's a crazy history that we need someone um, of that tribe to come and, and tell the true story. Yeah. 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 It's time. I mean, and to me, it's time. It's time to like, you know, like since we constantly have to kind of revisit all of these moments and like war, um, it's like, yeah, let's, let's go back. Let's, let's, let's take another stab at, at this moment, you know, and let's try to do it right this time. I mean, that'd be awesome. But yeah. anywho, so they have wood talkers, everyone. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, we just we just kind of put it out there as a movie, but we encourage everyone to actually go down a rabbit hole of factual historical uh, knowledge of what the movie was trying to base off of. So yeah. <laughs> Uh, there are a bunch of books out there that you can find on Amazon <clears throat> or your other or your bookstore, but there aren't. It, it doesn't look like there's any real documentaries um, out there. So, if someone someone so feels that they this this could be a very powerful story to tell. Yes, yeah. yeah that's, like I said, it's a very important time. Um, 
But yeah, so we will see you guys next week, uh, you know, with another family film. Until uh, then, we wish everyone safe physical distancing. Wear your masks and keep getting those shots. Yes. Peace.